Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Uh, we got Clark here uh, with us and Josh producing. As always, this is Garland. Good to be back. Uh, I was on sabbatical uh, for several weeks, so uh, missed missed being here, but uh, glad to be back. You look rested. Um, I, I feel rested. Fresh. You got a oh, good yeah. haircut. Yeah, got a yeah. new hair, uh, haircut, feeling tan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, gained some weight, <laughs> eating too much food. Um but here we are. We're we're in. We're continuing our our series uh, through the Gospel of John, and where we find ourselves now is we're we're looking at a series of signs or uh, miraculous things that Jesus has done, and they are demonstrating that He is the Messiah and the Son of God, the true King of the world. And we come to um, this momentous sign, and you had the the privilege of teaching this. Same passage back in the I am statement. So you get to you get the same chapter, a little bit different angle. So we're in John eleven. Uh, what happens in John eleven? Set us up. Yeah. So you know, on Easter Sunday we celebrate the resurrection, and so as we work through this story together on that day, um, we highlighted during our I am uh, part of the series. I am the li- uh, the resurrection and the life, and so it was a great look at just. God's supernatural power to raise someone uh, from the life, and then in doing so, to proclaim himself as a source of life and and point us to the resurrection. We went to John 20, spent some time there. and uh, But what we have here is uh, we're in the village of, of Bethany. We're with this family, and uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are together, and they're processing um, Lazarus's illness, and um, and he passes away. And so Jesus hears about it. Um, he's a pretty good ways away, and he seems to hesitate and lack urgency as he makes his way to visit the family. And uh, he makes this statement in chapter four: "It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it." And so um, he predicts that uh, Lazarus's illness will not end in death. And so um, we, we walk through the story. We, he meets him on, at the scene, and then he um, becomes pulled into the emotion of the moment, Garland. And, um, and part of what we're going to look at in this teaching is not just the deity of Jesus, but the humanity of Jesus. And what are the implications of that for us? Right. And so I think it's instructive for us that Jesus didn't just teach these high and mighty things that even though he were those, he, he was those things, but he also, um, he engaged people at their moment of pain. He empathized with them and, um, we find them grieving. There's weeping. Um, there's questions being asked. If you would have been here, um, you know, even some of the Jews and the Pharisees are like, well, if he could heal a blind man, then could he have not prevented this? He's being questioned. Right. And um, and so that's where we find ourselves, and we're mainly gonna um, in, our, in our teaching be in ch- uh, verses thirty-two uh, to forty-five of chapter eleven, and uh, I just gonna, we're gonna spend some time just um, seeing how Jesus connects and empathizes uh, with people at a deep level of emotion. Um, mm-hmm. We have God weeping, Darlin. Yeah. yeah, I I've been thinking on and meditating on that the last few weeks, mm-hmm. and. Primarily because of, honestly, Garland, some of the pain that we see in our world right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been, no one wants to ask the question out loud, but I've been just pondering, you know, do people think that God cares right now? 
with every, all the we, things going on. Think about you know, wars and shootings and yeah. and kids being killed. It just it's it's it does make you wonder that. Yeah. yeah. And so what we have here is um, is Jesus engaging this family, and he does care. And um, there's a deep indignation, if you will, that he feels. I think towards um, towards death and um, towards the unbelief. Um, of his own people, um, and then I, I think he enters into a moment where he he himself. I think frustration would not be the right word for sure, but he himself, I think, in this moment senses just the enormity of the fall and why he's come to bring life, and um, the pain that death causes. It's mm-hmm. wrecking this family right now, and um, and he sees them weeping and hurting, and he weeps and hurts. With them, and so that's part of what's going on in this story, Yarla. Um, I think the implications of it. Um, I've been sidetracked the last few weeks um, in chapter twelve because in eleven here, Garland, this is our last um, uh, supernatural sign, if you will, or miracle um, before this transition in twelve happens, where the hour has come for Jesus. He enters into his passion, thirteen to seventeen. He teaches them in the upper room. And then 18 to 21, we have his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. And so um, this 11 and 12 section of John is a huge pivot moment mm-hmm. for that. And uh, and so in 12, um, this is what's really cool, Garland. We, we have a celebration honoring Jesus happening in Bethany with Lazarus. And they're honoring Jesus, and that's where Mary anoints his feet, and then in just a few verses later, Garland, he is on a donkey. And the people are ushering in him as king. And the Pharisees have lost control at this point. And um, so we move from this miracle into that scene. And I was amazed that they were so angry. They actually had the intent and the plot to go out and kill Lazarus as well. Yeah, we don't want this story to circulate. Yeah, uh, and him him alive is a problem. Yeah, because people are going to buy it. They're going to buy this Jesus this Jesus narrative. Yeah, that's right. And so it, it's it's gotten out of control, and this this miracle put him over the edge. And um, and there's a reason I think um, the way John put together his gospel, um, just the highlight of the resurrection and what that means. And um, but you know a lot of what we're going to look at. Um, in this teaching, Garland, is, like I said again, the humanity of Jesus. And God, um, not only does he empathize, but he provides the ultimate solution uh, for the brokenness and pain in the world. And Jesus, in doing so, takes on um, the pain and the brokenness that this family is feeling and, and to the nth degree mm-hmm. on the cross. And, um, and we see that if you look at Hebrews 2, if you look at Hebrews 4, you look at Isaiah 53, the language of the humanity of who Jesus is and the pain that he went through, he became and experienced the darkness of emotion in, in ways that, that we have never experienced. Mm-hmm. And uh, in doing so, he's the perfect high priest, the perfect um, um, spotless lamb, pay for our sin and the one who can connect with us in our pain. 
It could be even just for the, the sermon notes listener, and if you're if you're leading a small group or discipling somebody through this passage, it, it could be just an interesting, helpful Bible study tool for you, even as a, a good question for a group or a discipleship group. You know, our passage here, John eleven thirty two through forty six. Uh, have have your your small group, your disciples, or even just your personal study, just go through the passage and underline or circle however you want to do it or just write on a journal or whatever you got. Note the verbs of Jesus, just the verbs associated with Jesus in here. That'd be a really, I think, an instructive study just to see the language used uh, of of our king here. And you're going to see not only uh, verbs like being deeply moved and troubled and to what you were saying earlier about... uh, when Jesus, when Jesus sees the death, carnage, and pain in our world, we don't have this uh, distant deity, uh, old grandpa in the sky who started the ball rolling, or some distant force. Yep. Um, we have a, we believe in a God who has language used like deeply moved and troubled. The word deeply moved is several times there, but notice also we have the language of Jesus saying speaking. To the yeah. to Lazarus to come out, and so we both get his power on the one hand to just speak, but also him, Jesus weeping. So just go through yeah. uh, in your personal study or with your disciples this week, and just note the verbs, and that'd be a really, I think, helpful, uh, even just moment of reflection uh, for for our church, just to to think through what are the what look at the language being used here of Jesus. Um, what are some things, you know, we can come to sermon notes to, to process things that oftentimes didn't make it yeah. into the sermon because just for lack of time, what, any, any nuggets, this, this, this teaching that you go, man, I just don't have time to get it in there. Uh, but man, it was good. Or this is, this is really interesting to me. You've been, you've already noted it, the, the, where this occurs, you know, John is, is putting these pieces together to, to theologically make some claims. And so, uh, right before this transitional note, um, in chapter 12, so you've already addressed that. So anything else stood out to you? Well, I've also, and we probably won't go into a lot of detail in, in our teaching, but, uh, but I think it's interesting just to go back and identify the different moments of Jesus's humanity. Um, uh, you know, the, the woman at the well, um, he was thirsty and weary. Um, we know he was hungry in his temptation. Um, we know there was deep emotion in the garden when he prayed before his um, before the crucifixion. And to identify in the whole of the Gospels, uh the human moments of Jesus. And so that, that could be an interesting study as well. Um, we know in Luke 2.52 that he grew in a wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And that's what we know from the ages of, what, about 12 to 30, that as a, as a human, he physically experienced those emotions and, uh, and physical growth. Um, it's speculation, but, you know, I just... I've wondered what he went through in his teen years with his friends and, um, you know, was he naturally good at memorizing or did he have to work at it? Yeah. Whatever their sports were. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what was he good at? Um, was he, was he a good carpenter? Did it come naturally to him? I, we don't know right. those yeah. things, but he was human. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, did Mary hover as a mom? And did he have to walk in the spirit in how he treated and responded to her? Those mm-hmm. are things that, that we speculate. But those are things that probably won't be in the sermon, but it's interesting to note when we consider him as fully human and divine. 
Um, the other thing, and we may go there if we have time, Garland, but this is also a great passage to remind us of just the basic doctrines of uh, Christology, him being fully human, uh, fully divine, what we, what we call the hypostatic union. Both those things are true. Um, consider other passages like Philippians uh, chapter 2, 1 through 11, um, any of the Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4 passages that speak to that as well. So I think it's a it's also a great reminder to um, just remind ourselves of just the good, robust doctrine of, of who Jesus is um, in all his fullness. Yeah, so, just and just... We haven't noted it yet. I mean, obviously, it's the the point of the story, but he does raise Lazarus from the dead. Oh, yeah. um, and so, just just the 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 defeat that Jesus is bringing over death, this is going to be a, a foretaste of that. And as you noted in the transition, he will immediately move in the narrative to talking about his own death, which will be the ultimate uh, defeat of death. And so, um, I think we noted in the last sermon notes on this chapter the. The difference in Lazarus's resuscitation, his resurrection being right. in his grave clothes. I think we—I can't remember if we talked about this. Even the nature of how they wrapped these uh, these bodies, these corpses, was—I mean, they wrapped them tight. I mean, it yeah. would—he's not strolling out of there. He's struggling, I bet, He's to get out there. Shuffling, um, but when Jesus is resurrected, when we see the empty tomb of Jesus, the grave—the grave clothes are are, are not—he's not bound by them. Death has truly been. Uh, defeated in Jesus's resurrection. So yeah. uh, there's a different in kind, we might say, between these two. Mm-hmm. And this is an amazing picture. I know this is a, uh, he, he says in the passage, um, verse 40, didn't I tell you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God. And mm-hmm. what a better picture, uh, or could there be a better picture of the glory of God than the great enemy that even in our cur- current modern world that we still taste, the great enemy called sin and death that wreaks havoc being defeated by this God man. Um, and it's a major claim. I know when I talk to skeptical people, when I talk to even doubting people in our own church and even in my own life, what I come back to over and over and over again, and I have to, is we're making a unique claim as Christians. Uh, and it centers on the nature of resurrection. Um, yep. We really believe that uh, Lazarus's tomb was empty. For a moment, and that Jesus's tomb is empty permanently, and that comes with some serious ramifications. Yeah. And just as a listener to this, as a you know follower of Jesus in our church, that might be that might be a, a, a worthwhile uh, use of your time. Even this week, I know we said it in the resurrection, but what the claim that we're making? Um, it's a dramatic claim, and I understand why skeptics doubt it. I understand yeah. why a skeptic would look at this passage and go, "Really?" Um, it smacks of an eyewitness account, mm-hmm. and. There's the nature of Jesus' resurrection as well that we have to wrestle through, and uh, just there's there's good historical reason for us to 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 believe it. It's not a, a fool's errand, and yeah. um, just just the, the Jesus follower listen to this out there. Um, it's an amazing story. Let's not let's not miss. How would you feel if you're Mary and Martha? Yeah. You know, you're four days in. Martha's Martha has zero. Uh, <laughs> hope that this is about to happen that she says it's gonna he'll be smelly if we take the stone away she's Mm -hmm. not expecting this uh just like we wouldn't i don't think the disciples are expecting jesus's empty tomb either and so the unexpected surprise of the resurrection both of lazarus and of jesus it's jarring and it should be and it's worth living for uh if indeed it's true it changes everything and that 
just every time I come to these stories, I think that's just a good reminder for me, especially this one, uh, where it sits in John's Gospels. So I'm just uh, throwing it out there for our listeners as well. Anything else, Clark, for yeah. small groups, you know discipleship? You know, to your point earlier about just his victory over sin and death, the author to the Hebrews actually says it like this. Um, and this is uh, chapter 2. Um, verse 14, it says, He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so there is this real enemy, this real battle going on that he stares down. And Part of the the point of the story is through belief and faith in Him, we can be freed from the fear of death and experience the joy of knowing where our eternity sits and the abundance of life sits this side of heaven Mm -hmm. as well. And so, uh, yeah, really good stuff, Garland. Thanks for hosting. And uh, it's been a great time again here on Sermon Notes. 